Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And tell your friends, family, and colleagues about the show as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. So today we are talking with the Chief Executive Officer of LS Kitchen, Mark Cuddigan. Uh, LS Kitchen is a product that I have to tell you I've personally used with my two kids. Uh, they do great organic baby food. And not only that, but they're actually a great force for good in terms of how sustainable business can play a role in improving our planet. So they're B Corp certified. They've been B Corp certified for over five years now. And we're going to look at that. We're going to look at how they're trying to drive awareness for sustainable business and their sustainable business as well what they're doing around healthy eating, and even what they're doing to improve the business environment here in the UK uh, with the Better Business Act and trying to get companies to focus on more than just profits, but looking at planet and the wider society. Now, before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. So Mark, without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you for that great introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about Ella's Kitchen. I'm, I'm very familiar with it, but maybe some folks listening are not. Yeah, so Ella's Kitchen was founded 16 years ago by Paul Lindley. Um, Ella is Paul's eldest daughter. And he set the company up uh, really because he was struggling to feed Ella when she was a baby. And he found by using sight and sound and actually all of the senses. So, so, so we fundamentally believe that everyone eats with all of their senses, including babies. And he found that by using all of the senses, he was able to get Ella to start eating food. And that was kind of the nub of the idea of, of starting Ella's Kitchen. He wanted to create an emotional brand that was kids first, that was kids focused. And that was 16 years ago. And we've gone from strength to strength. We've gone from, from, from nowhere to the UK's number one baby food company. We've gone from a private company to be part of a, a NASDAQ listed US company. We're in probably 35 markets around the world and it's been phenomenally successful. Excellent. And why this drive for sustainable business? I mean, obviously, somebody might say moral imperative and so forth, but what's driving that desire within Ellis Kitchen? So when Paul set the company up, we were set up with a mission. And our mission is to improve children's lives through developing healthy relationships with food. So the mission of the company was not to make money. It was around children's health and nutrition. Um, and that has been our sort of North Star, I suppose, ever since. And it's why we go to work every day. Sustainability has obviously become more and more important as we've learned more and more about what's going on in the world. And we've always believed in the sort of the three Ps, the people, planet, profit. And it's just something for me personally, I can answer for me personally, it is something that I'm 
just massive, massively passionate about. I think I've always, well, it's actually not, I was going to say I've always believed in it. That's an absolute lie. I haven't always believed in it. Um, you know, I was 49 on, on Sunday and I've been in FMCG. So that's consumer goods, selling stuff to supermarkets all my life. And it was only really when I met Paul that I understood there's another way of running a company, um, that a company isn't all about just making money. And coming to Ella's Kitchen has completely changed my life. Um, it's been the best thing that I have ever done. It is one of the great loves of my life. And it's changed me as a person. And I've become more and more passionate about the first two things, so people and planet. And I think if you do the first two correctly, the last, the profit, will take care of itself. Um, but you know, we could make the whole podcast about why I'm, why I'm excited about sustainability. I've got two young girls. You know, I think everything just happened at the right time for me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, give us a little bit of a flavor for for your products. So you do baby food. But give us a little bit of uh, insight into the into the uh, the product offering. Yeah, so our products are, are organic. Um, the main part of what we do is for babies, so from six months to to two years. We've got hundreds of products now. So we do everything from uh, cereal to um, fruit and veg pouches and veg pouches. Uh, the things that we we sort of hold ourselves up for, I suppose, is is what we call sort of store cupboard ingredients. Um, so everything that's in the pouch is listed on the back of the pouch, and that includes the percentages. So you don't have to do it, but we put all of the percentages of everything in. So all of the good stuff, none of the bad stuff, we would say. And now when somebody's thinking, okay, we want to have a, a, a company that's doing sustainable business, that's improving the world around us, many different ways that that could you know, that journey can look very different in different companies and you're all still doing great things. What are the key things that you guys are focusing on to improve our planet? Lots. I mean, we've got our, what we call our, our big pledge for little people. We've got sort of three promises around that. The first is to be a net zero company by 2030, mm -hmm. which is incredibly difficult. The second is to reduce our emissions by setting externally improved science-based targets for direct and indirect emissions across scopes one, two, and three. So that's basically everything that we are in control of ourselves. So our head office, that sort of thing, and all of the stuff that you would say we're not in control of. So the factories that we use to, to produce our products. So that's obviously incredibly difficult. And then the third one is we're working with UK and international conservation partners to restore, rewild, and protect the ecosystems on which we all rely. So those are our kind of three key things sustainability is one of these things where you're never done we all have an impact on, on, on the planet and the only question is what are you going to do about it so we're just always always driving to to do more yeah as a ceo what are the sort of challenges there so it might be you have a huge heart you want to do great things but actually in practice sometimes you can't do everything great or there's some areas that are bottlenecks or, or hurdles that an ideal world you get rid of, but they're there. Uh, what are some of those headwinds? I think that you've got to be strategic because you're right. You can't you can't do everything because um, as much as having a sustainable business does drive business, it can also be very very expensive, and you could put yourself out of business if if you were just trying to you know focus on sustainability. I think there are naturally things that are going to come up which are going to be really really challenging so i'll tell you one at the moment so we have 
uh, as I said before, we've committed to be net zero by 2030. You know, one of the most carbon intensive issues in our entire supply chain is the protein that goes into our pouches. So beef, lamb, chicken, etc. These are the things that are going to have the highest carbon output. So you'd look at that and go, well, we'll just get rid of those. But then we have our mission, which is around children's health and nutrition. And for a six-month, seven, eight-month child, it's really, really important that they get the right nutrients, vitamins, and protein in their diet because their brains are growing and they are growing. So this is really, really important. And you think, well, get rid of the protein and just add it back into the pouch in other ways. But we can't do that and, and still call ourselves organic. So to be an organic product, you cannot add anything extra into the pouch. So we've naturally got this tension where we've got our mission, which is our North Star, and then we've got our sustainability plan to be, or part of our sustainability plan to be net zero. And, and they're actually working directly against each other. So we haven't solved that. So I know you're going to say, well, how are you going to fix that? I was going to ask. <laughs> well, we don't know. I, I do know that we will get there because we are determined to get there. Um, is it through changing government regulations? So we can still be called organic. I don't know. Is it through different types of feed to animals, which is going to lower the carbon output potentially? You know, is it through uh, feeding cattle seaweed? I don't know. There are, there are lots of things that are going on. There are lots of technologies, which is really, really exciting. Um, and I don't think you should always know how you're going to achieve something. If we're going to put ourselves outside of our comfort zone and really, really push ourselves, I'm quite comfortable being uncomfortable, not knowing how we're going to get there. Because I know that if we're going to focus on it, and we're going to put money behind it, we're going to put the right people behind it, we'll get there. But at the moment, that's a particularly thorny issue where I don't know how we're going to do it. Mm. I noticed um, when I look at your, you know, the little packages of Alice Kitchen's food, um, extremely resilient, tough little packages, right? I mean, they're incredible convenient for parents, but... I imagine on the recycling side, that can present a little bit of a challenge. And uh, and before you answer that, though, I did notice that you guys work with TerraCycle to ensure that even if, even if these packages aren't necessarily recyclable in your local council, there are ways that you can do something other than just throw them out into the waste. Um, yeah, there are ways. And, and this, is, this is probably our, the, the, the biggest single challenge we have at the moment with regards to sustainability or our business model and who would have known 16 years ago that plastic would become the issue that it is today and you know we we could relatively easily move our our pouches into glass jars but actually if you look at the life cycle analysis of a glass jar against a pouch so a gla glass jar takes more energy to produce it's much more energy to transport because it's much heavier You then fill it with your product and transport it again, more energy. And then end of life, when you melt it down the glass, that's great, but more energy as well. So in terms of carbon output, and if we can all agree that global warming is the biggest single issue we have right now uh, with regards to the climate, anything that, that we do that is going to exacerbate that is obviously a bad thing. So... We have been working for a number of years with a number of competitors and a number of other um, businesses in the industry 
to fix what I would call the broken recycling system in the UK. So all plastic that can be recycled at the moment in the UK, only 8% is actually getting recycled, which is crazy. Our pouches cannot be recycled at the moment, nor can things like crisp packets, anything, think anything, any flexible plastic packaging cannot be recycled. And the government have persistently said, we, we, we can't do it for two reasons. One, it's technically not possible for the local authorities to collect it and sort it. And the second reason is it's not commercially viable. So with a packaging expert uh, or experts that um, we funded this research looking at all recycling systems worldwide, and actually we were able to prove to, to government and DEFRA that it is possible and it does pay back commercially. So I hope within maybe the next year, the government are going to change uh, the guidelines for all local authorities. This isn't just for our products. This is for all flexible packaging products. So we could have viewed this as let's fix let's fix this for Ella's Kitchen, but that's no good. We need to fix the system. So we're not looking at ourselves. We're looking at the problem. And I'm really proud that we, we came together with these other companies. And I hope that within a number of years, all flexible packaging will get collected. It will get sorted. It will then get recycled. And then it'll go back into the system. Because at the moment, the government, I know getting a bit technical here, but there's going to be uh, new regulations in about a year coming through where if you haven't got 30% recycled material in your plastic, you're going to face a hefty charge. All companies will. But the problem is there isn't any recycled material. We're like, you've got to start collecting it first, like fix the system and then move move the industry. But if you just come up with the tax, what will happen is companies will just increase their prices, which isn't the answer. But um, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that we will get there. And then we will close the loop and we'll just have our pouches coming back and then they'll go round and round and round, which is perfect. You need a closed loop system. Yeah. I like the fact that you guys aren't just concerned about you know, operating sustainably yourselves, but you met, you, you're you touching on the regulatory framework, the system, the other stakeholders who are active, whether they're allies, frenemies or competitors. I know you're big on both raising awareness for B Corp, the keep B Corp movement. And also, we touched on it earlier, the Better Business Act here in the UK and trying to change the the, the legislative uh, landscape so that it's not just profit maximization that a company director should be focused on. Tell me a little bit about your role in changing the system, both the, the corporate and the, uh, and the political. So we certified as a B Corp in 2016. And for, for people listening who, who don't know what that means, it, it means we passed the highest social and environmental test there is out there. And it is, it's a nightmare. You know, it's 200 questions you have to answer. And that might say, sound simple. It's really, really difficult. Um, and don't dissuade too many people don't dissuade too yeah many okay people. <laughs> uh, it's easy it'll take a couple of hours and you have to get 80 points out of 200 also sounds easy it's not easy um and if you make the grade you can certify as a b corporation the final thing you need to do is you need to change your articles of association at company's house to commit to running your business for all stakeholders so for people communities for the planet and environment and yes, for shareholders. Whereas at the moment, all UK companies, all listed companies, you have one fiduciary duty. So you know, I run a division of a, of a 
US PLC, I have one fiduciary duty and one duty only, Alberto, and that is maximize shareholder return. And when you say that out loud, you think, well, you, you don't do that. No, I don't do that. But that is every single CEO's responsibility. Now, if you think of the, the environmental and, and planet issues that we have, if you think about the social issues we have, the issues we have with justice, we can't solve these issues if we're only maximizing shareholder return. So the, the, the B Corp community really has one aim and one aim only, and that is to change how we measure success in business. So moving away from it's all about money. Yes, money is important, but it is not all about money. It is also about people and it is also about the planet and the environment. And it's a community that's growing massively. I mean, year on year in the UK, every year it's like 70, 80, 90% up. And it's something that I am incredibly passionate about. And I, and I look at the world today and, and, you know, if you look at business, business has the opportunity. It's the biggest force on the planet, right? It is, the, it is, it, it, it has the capacity to give people real fulfillment, joy, and happiness in their lives. Unfortunately, for most people, that doesn't happen. And I think that's an absolute scandal that it doesn't happen. But business ha has this moment in time, I think, to stand up and lead. Because if we wait for governments to solve these issues that we have, I often say, you know, who do we mean? Do we mean in the UK? Do we mean Boris Johnson, our prime minister? Do we mean the Conservative Party? Do we mean all MPs? I mean, who are these magical people that can solve these complex issues? And when they make these commitments at COP, wherever it may be, who's going to deliver these commitments? It's business and it's people. So, you know, I know what, what needs to be done. You know, I can read. I, I understand what's going on in the world. I don't need somebody to legislate to tell me what needs to be done. And the great thing when we come to talk about the Better Business Act is it's extraordinary. You've got nearly a thousand companies that have signed up to this act saying, can you please legislate to make life a little bit harder for us? When has that ever happened? It never happens. But business is now taking this lead and saying, you know, we know what the problem is. And you look at what's happening with Ukraine and, and the speed with which many brands have uh, responded is, is extraordinary. Um, so... Yeah, so so that's kind of B Corp. I could tell you many stories, uh, other stories. Yeah, and 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 on the Ukraine front, many of those businesses responding without being legally prompted to respond. Right? I mean, it's going beyond the sanctions and sort of self-imposed. Uh, yes, I mean, some of them obviously have responded before any sort of pressure, but I think the the one thing that gives me heart at the moment is is for the first time I think in, in our history we have individually we have tremendous power and that's really really exciting because we can put through change on a on a global scale so people starting a boycott here or a boycott there or pressure group here and, and in our hands with our mobile phones we are we can be connected to millions of people um and that's quite exciting and correct me if i'm wrong here but on the one hand a government could say or and does say you know okay we're going to be net zero by 2050 or 2040 or 2030 uh, but these statements necessarily require the business sector to 
the business sector that understands the logistics and the operational dynamics to say this is actually how we're going to get there because a grand statement from a politician doesn't in any way give you the the roadmap of how you're going to uh do away with the challenge of your of your packaging or the challenge of your protein and your and your and your food products right yeah i, I mean the gov the government definitely governments definitely have a role to play so they can set the ambition they can set the goals and they can change legislation to level the playing field for everybody because to do some of these things is really really expensive so for us to decarbonize our transport we need big electric trucks well there aren't any at the moment and if you talk about if you talk to the people that run trucking fleets they'll say we can't do this until the government legislates because if we do it it's too expensive but if everybody has to do it we'll all do it so there are things there are things that they can do and they definitely have a part to play but at the end of the day business is going to be delivering most of this yeah when you and I spoke a while back, one of the things you mentioned, which really resonated with me, and I'd love to flesh out a little bit more, is that you're really keen on, you know, from, from, from Ellis Kitchen's perspective, sort of what's it like viewing the world from a child's perspective, from a child's eyes? Mm. What did you mean by that? So we call it Kids First, and it permeates through absolutely everything that we do at Ellis Kitchen, from simple things like our job titles to you know, one of our five values is um, we're childlike. So everything, everything we do is from a child's perspective and looking at the world through a child's perspective. So we believe that when kids get to play, explore and have fun with food in and outside of mealtimes, when we let them use their imaginations, that's when they're going to develop curiosity and confidence towards fruit and veg, meaning they're more willing to try it now and then love it later on. Mm. So we're always thinking about how we can make them happier and healthier. And that might start with tiny tummies, but it goes so much bigger than that because we want to create a better world for little people now and in the future. So when we talk about being kids first, it's not about acting like a baby or pretending to be one. That would be weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's about really understanding how little ones think behave and see the world it's about putting them at the center of all of our decisions big or small and making things simple and most of all like just having lots of fun mm. i saw a little clip that's on your website um i think it's titled baby c news it's not bbc news baby c news and you have there was quite a quite a little uh, event going on out there in uh in near parliament with uh, with kids and trying to petition uh, policymakers what was that all about so that was that well i'm gonna say it's awesome i'm probably a little <laughs> bit biased um so that was what we called our veg for victory campaign right so we we commissioned the british nutrition foundation to look at all weaning studies so weaning for for american audiences um when you start solid foods for the first time so between sort of four and six months so we looked at all studies worldwide and we were able to prove something which is really cool, really simple, and nobody had done it before. So when you start giving your baby food for the first time, if you start with vegetables, both in variety and, and, and sort of quantity, I suppose, for the first few weeks, it will have a material impact on a child's 
vegetable intake when they're one year old, two, three, four, and five, i.e. they will eat more vegetables as they get older. And at the time in the UK, the UK government through the NHS doctors and, and, and surgeries and so forth, was their recommendation was when you start giving your baby food for the first time, mash down a bit of fruit. So we started this campaign um, and it was sort of multifaceted, I suppose. And, and we wanted to get the government to change the guidelines. And you would have thought it's pretty easy. Just give them the research and they change the guidelines. No, it doesn't really work like that. We had a campaign to take to consumers, to take to parents, to say, this is the thing you want to do. And, and, and for consumers, we came up with this really cool idea uh, based around um, all babies look a little bit like Winston Churchill mm-hmm. uh, when they're born. So they must have a bald and stuff. And we called we called uh, them Sir Winston Churchill. And we sort of aped his sort of most famous speeches. And we marched on the Houses of Parliament with children. We delivered a massive greener paper. And that was one of our asks, you know, change the guidelines to when you start weaning, when you start first foods for the first time, must add a bit of vegetable. And they changed it, which is amazing. So that's us sort of living our mission, I suppose, doing the research, checking the research, going out into the real world, and then actually, okay, so what do we want to change? If we want to change the way consumers buy products, you know, we, we drop the price of our vegetable skews. So there was a, a nudge. So they were 10p cheaper than the fruit skews. So consumers would walk past and go, oh, well, I might buy that instead of that one. It's a typical nudge theory, but we kind of employed everything and it worked and it's great. Mm, fascinating. And how did you get into all of this? How did you land up where you are today? Um, so, well, so I've been working, I've been selling stuff to supermarkets all my life. Um, I've sort of run my own companies, bought companies, sold companies, and I bumped into into Paul Lindy. So they were looking for a position. I met Paul and I was just really inspired by him. He's one of these incredible people. And as I said before in the intro, it literally changed my life. And it's now just become this sort of great love affair, I suppose, with, with, with work. And I absolutely love it. I get to work with incredible people. We, we get to have a real impact, a positive impact around what we do, whether it's regards to the environment, B Corp, our mission, making Ella's a great place to work. You know, we were in the Sunday Times, top 100 companies to work for five years running. These are the things that really like inspire me, I suppose. And so, yes, I was really lucky. I met Paul. He inspired me. I jumped in and I've never looked back and I've been there 10 and a half years. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. Without being, without having too much of a digression, but one of the topics that I, that's lingering in my mind, actually, now that we're having this conversation and, uh, and we're talking about kids, you know, having this love affair with vegetables and how you, um, you know, as a parent, it's a great thing to do. Um, and I've had quite a few shows that we look at nutrition and so forth. But one of the things that keeps on coming up is that vegetables can be really expensive, right? I mean, for a lot of people, it's just difficult. And uh, I don't know if there is a magic bullet for it, but I'm wondering whether there's anything that can be done to at least make that a little bit easier for some families instead of, because you have that balancing. I'm sure there's a lot of families who are thinking, well, the, 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 the cheeseburger at, uh, X, Y, and Z, uh, fast food chain is, uh, you know, one fifty nine, and that's lunch, right? So I don't know. Obviously it's a massive problem. 
isn't it? And I think rather than vegetables are too expensive, I would say bad food, like really food that's really bad for you that has lots of additives is too cheap. And you've seen sugar tax come in for drinks, but nothing else. And I think we have been slowly poisoning ourselves on a diet that we shouldn't be eating. Um, this is me being worthy. I mean, you look at the stats and and one of the things that, that we are, one of the many things that we're sort of campaigning on, but it's just shocking, is before the pandemic, the number of children in the UK who were entering primary school, so this is um, four turning five, uh, who were obese or overweight was 22%. Now that's bad, right? But unfortunately, that has jumped to 28% throughout the pandemic. So 28%, so nearly a third of British children going into primary school are already obese or overweight. Would it surprise you, Alberta, if I told you that all government intervention policies around childhood obesity start at five? You look at that and you think it's too late. Mm. You know, we're not reaching kids where we, this is this is crazy, and that's a it's just a terrible, terrible number. So yes, some something needs to be to be done about it. We call it the obesogenic environment, um, and the obesogenic environment is particularly poor in deprived areas where you just have fifteen chicken shops along with the betting shops, and and you go through them in London. You think you know it's 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 terrible. Not the way forward, and um, but you're feeling up. I gather by 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 having spoken to you before and just getting a little bit of insight into your personality, you're probably feeling optimistic about the road ahead. I feel optimistic about the road ahead because I think the tide is turning, um, and I feel I feel quite passionately that that through the pandemic, so the last two years, which has obviously been awful and very challenging. Um, if you weren't a key worker, if you weren't working on the front line, if you were able to work from home, it has given us this opportunity for reflection about what we really, really want from life. Um, you know, I live in West London. There were no planes. There was no traffic. Kids were playing in the road. I could see stars for the first time in 25 years of living in London. And Everybody was helping each other from a community point of view. And this is what humans do when there's a, when any crisis actually worldwide, we come together to help each other. And I feel that people, and you've we've already seen it in the US, where they're calling it the great resignation. And I think it's amazing. I think if you if you are working for a company that doesn't align with your values, if you are passionate about sustainability and your company doesn't give a crap you should leave because it will make you miserable and the more people that leave these sorts of companies these companies will either change or they will cease to exist and i think you know for all of the the stick millennials get for having i'd love to be a millennial i'm too old <laughs> for having this me 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 attitude you know simon senate calls it a me 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 attitude i think they're going to change the world because they're being demanding they're being more demanding of the companies they work for. They're being demanding from the companies they buy for, the services they buy. And that's why I feel 
positive because I, I just feel it in my bones that, that things are changing, that people are waking up to actually there's more to life than consumerism. There's more to life than this X, Y, Z. Um, this is going to make me happy. Um, and making me happy is actually, you know, making an impact. And I spoke about this the other day to, to, uh, it's with regards to my dad actually. Um, but that's another story, but you know, I don't, I think you can only have get fulfillment at work in one way and one way only. And that's helping other people. It's the only way. Mm. I normally, I always like asking my guests for a key takeaway before, uh, we part ways. Perhaps that's it, but perhaps it's not. Um, what's that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's show? Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's a really difficult question. Um, one thing to bear in mind, um, I would say that you have the power, more power than we've ever had in, in history, more individual power than we've ever had in history. So use it wisely. If you don't like a company, if you don't want to buy certain things, don't buy them. If you're passionate about something, tell other people because that passion can be, you know, really, really infectious. So don't be a bystander, get involved. And obviously, if you're, a, if you're a business, join the B Corporation movement because it changed my life. It's changed Ella's Kitchen as well. You know, on any, any measure you want to look at, we're a better business. So get involved. And also... Sign the Better Business Act. It doesn't cost you anything. You just have to go to the betterbusinessact.co.uk and say, we want a new form of capitalism. There you go. That, was, that wasn't one, was it? <laughs> that wasn't one, but it was great. So that's pretty cool. Mark, it's been really great hosting you on the Do One Better podcast today and uh, getting a sense for, for your work and for all you're doing for sustainable business and also just to drive forward the agenda. And for our listeners as well, just keep in mind, that in previous episodes, we had had uh, Chris Turner, who is the head of B Corp here in the UK. So listen to that one. I think that was from back in 2020, January 2020. And uh, and also Tom Zaki in November 2021, who's the head of TerraCycle, also looking at different ways to recycle uh, different items. So that might be useful in terms of connecting the dots and seeing where, uh, where today's chat fits in. Uh, Mark, uh, great. Thank you so much. And here's to your continued success. Brilliant. Well, thank you for having me at Bursa. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Mark Cuttigan, Chief Executive Officer of Ellis Kitchen. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And tell your family, friends, and colleagues about the show. It's always very much appreciated. For information about this episode and more than 150 interviews with remarkable thought leaders in the world of philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at Ligi.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please leave us a rating and a review if you enjoy the show. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.